0: You're listening to the Efree Lethbridge Podcast. So, I, I've seen lots of posts this week about Ride for a Reason, which is connected to Southern Alberta Bible Camp. Uh, it's raising money for camp scholarships for those who might not otherwise be able to afford to go to camp to have a camp experience. And so I've seen lots of posts of people riding their bike, a few that were running for a reason as well. Great job to all of those of you. Lots of young families involved. In fact, I kept running into the lammertson family while I was out training for some running as well. So Sam and Charlotte, And even seven-month-old Annie were out uh, doing Ride for a Reason regularly around Henderson Lake, keeping a strong and steady pace. Tyler trailing off in the distance with little Charlotte on her training wheels uh, going around there. It was great to see them and an encouragement to me. When I looked up the distance options, it was even more impressive The minimum distance was 20 kilometers, and I thought those training wheels are going to wear out after 20 kilometers there. All the way up to 160 kilometers was one of the distances that you could ride, which is incredible. I saw a post from someone who was running for a reason, and due to all of the rain that they had uh, experienced on Monday and Tuesday, their, their normal path was soaked and muddy, so they had to run a loop on an asphalt trail that meant that they had to pass their house at least once or twice, and she talked about the temptation of seeing the house and just kind of quitting after the first lap, because like, nobody would know, right? Like It'd be all right, and I get that. Some of you have commented that you've seen me out running all over the city, and first of all, thank you for calling what I do running. That's very kind of you. But as someone who can find any excuse not to exercise, I need external motivation. So what I do is I sign up for a race, and I, I use the term race loosely as well, a run, and I know that it will kill me if I don't do the training, but I also know that I am too cheap and too proud not to show up at the run because I've spent money on it, so now i got to go, and so which means I have to do the training runs. But let me tell you, there are days and there are moments where I'm very tempted to take a shortcut there, when it is a battle to keep going. And there are times when I give in and just start walking for a little bit and listen to that voice that says you can't do this it's too far it's too hard just quit you're too weak and thankfully i don't face a lot of external opposition although some of you have mocked me and that hurts <laughs> i remember one uh, one run i was doing it was the calgary marathon and for whatever reason this particular year i think they had us they were had us looping around a few times i think it was through the east village And as I came through on the first loop, there was a guy on the side of the road with a sign that said, I know a shortcut. (laughs) And at first, I thought that was really funny. And then the second time we passed that sign, I was like, I wonder if it's true. (laughs) And then the third time that we passed that sign, I had to like stop myself from going over and asking him the question like, do you really know one? Because I would take it right now. The rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem, which we're talking about in the book of Nehemiah, like the recovery of a church, isn't a day job. In running or riding terms, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a distance ride. It takes time. It takes sustained effort. It provokes opposition. People on the side of the road saying, I know a shortcut. And the people of Jerusalem, as they rebuild this wall, are facing external threats and internal pressure. The external threats come mainly from two characters. The first one is right at the beginning of the chapter there, Sembalit. He's a Samaritan leader. He's Nehemiah's most vocal political opponent. He's clearly worked up and worried that the rebuilding of the wall is going to reignite the power of Israel. And so he is worked up about this. We see this all the way back in chapter 2, verse 10, where they're very disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And so he expresses his concern in this chapter in mocking questions, expresses his concern in mockery by asking questions. And questioning is one of the enemy's favorite tactics to discourage us and prevent us from fulfilling our mission. Did God really say? Is God really good? Can God really be trusted? So Sam Balat questions the ability of the people to do the work. They're just feeble Jews. Can a ragtag bunch of refugees really build a wall to protect the city? Can they really build anything? As we learned last week, they have perfumers building the wall. What kind of wall is a perfumer going to build? He questions their ability to accomplish the task. Even if the people were capable and and stonemasons and and excelled at construction, the task is enormous, and it's not going to get done in a day. Will they really have the stamina to persevere? He questions their faith in God and God's ability to provide for them. Will they really offer sacrifices to God? Do they really trust God to help them? And will their sacrifice, will their faith Make a difference? He questions the resources available. Not only are the people not qualified and the task enormous, the resources are inferior. They're building a wall out of rubble, out of burned, cracked stones, broken rocks. And he does this in the presence of the Samaritan army as a show of force. Essentially, he mocks the Israelites with the Samaritan army behind him, saying, really, is what you're going to build going to be able to sustain an attack from this? Do you really think you can protect yourself from this power? When ridicule and a show of force doesn't stop the building, Sembala and his axis of evil plot a series of coordinated surprise attacks to kill the workers and disrupt the work. But, as is often the case with secrets, word leaks out and it gets to Nehemiah and he has the opportunity to prepare the people and the plot is thwarted and the attacks never materialize. However, the plot is successful in sowing doubt and fear among the people. We see this in verse 10 of our chapter. It says this, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Discouragement starts to set in. And this strength of the laborers is giving out Is this image it is supposed to bring to mind this image of a worker tottering under the weight of a load, ready to fall down at any step. We're, we're at the maximum amount of energy that we can expend. We have none left. This is never going to work. When I was in college, one of my summer jobs was working at a packing plant and just outside of Brooks, and one of the things that i was on the grade line so sides of beef would go by and we'd stamp them or strap them or trim them or whatever we were supposed to do that day but at the end of our shift the the loading dock always was behind a little bit and so we would help by hand bombing quarters of beef into the into the truck and what we would do is we'd get under one of the hanging sides of beef kind of get our shoulder underneath its shoulder get swing underneath of it and then somebody would cut the quarter of beef down on us and we would carry it to the truck. Now sometimes the quarter of beef was too heavy and the floor too slippery and you could just see that a worker was going to go down in the, you know, it was just a matter of time. Tottering under the load. So I get this image. The work is too hard. The load is too heavy. The job is taking too long. More than we have endurance to bear. So why bother If we do all this work that we're not qualified to do with inferior material, then maybe Tobiah is right. It's just going to all come down at the slightest touch. Might as well send the workers home back to the villages to be with their families. They're discouraged. And then verse 12 says this, Then the Jews who lived near the enemies came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us not only is the work discouraging it's dangerous we're surrounded if you look at the axis of evil on a map it's every country around judah is opposing the work there's no escape send the workers home let them be safe in the villages so they don't die it's too dangerous I think this propaganda campaign was so successful because of the second character in the story, the second main source of opposition. It's Tobiah. We are introduced to him earlier in, the letter, or in this uh, book, but in verse 3 of our chapter, Tobiah, he, he exerts overt pressure. By mocking the Israelites alongside of Sembalat and mocking the strength of the wall, even a fox walking on this wall could knock it down. It's just so fragile. But he is more subtle than Sembalat. Sambalat is almost a caricature of an enemy. He's like I kind of—he's almost cartoonish in his opposition of the wall. But Tobiah is subtle and devious. He's well connected to the Jewish leaders. He's married to Shechaniah's daughter. Shechaniah is listed as one of the builders of the wall in chapter 3 and is in fact the guard of the east gate. He's a person of importance. He married, Tobiah married his son to another Jewish leader and then he married his daughter to Eliashib's grandson. Eliashib is the first person mentioned in chapter 3. He's the high priest. And so Tobiah is well-connected. Can you imagine those family dinners when they all get together? Builders of the wall and those opposed to it. As a church in transition, I think we can confidently say we're facing external opposition to our health. See, Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We, as a community of faith, as a family, have had a testimony in our city. People know about us, and they know what we stand for, and lots of them have come in contact with us through our programs or through you as you take the light of Jesus into our city. And right now, we're in a vulnerable position We're in a time of leadership transition, which is vulnerable in itself, on top of a time of upheaval. Can we retire the word pivot yet? Right? Can we just retire that word? And we're living in a culture of political volatility and mistrust, which creeps into the church. Can leaders be trusted? Which then translates to, can our leaders be trusted? It's reasonable to assume that the enemy recognizes our vulnerability and is actively opposing our rebuilding and our renewal. He does not want our testimony to continue in our city and in our world. We're also facing internal pressure. It's overwhelming, right? The job is overwhelming. It's enormous. And we're too weak. And the job is too big. I mean, as we look back on our history, really for the last eight years, we have been in some kind of crisis or another, moving from crisis to hurt. And that's just us as a church that doesn't even talk about us as individuals and the individual hurt and crisis and trauma that we've gone through. There's too much damage. There's too much rubble. We're just too tired. We are too hurt to do the work. Discouraged and fearful. Fearful. We're listening to those internal and sometimes external voices that tell us it's never going to work. If you stay and engage and participate in the rebuilding, you'll just get used up, burnt out. You'll get hurt. Get out while you can. Nehemiah's response gives us three ways to deal with discouraging and downer voices, which might even include your own voice as you speak to yourself. First of all, pray. Let's look at chapter 4 again, verse 3. This is part of the mockery. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at Sambalat's side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. There's no introduction to this prayer, right? It doesn't talk about the mockery and then it's a, you know, then Nehemiah prayed. No, just jumps right into prayer. It indicates some urgency. We've all been in those moments when we're completely overwhelmed and we don't even have time to say let's pray. We just jump into prayer. Oh Lord, we need your help right now. Oh Lord, do you hear what's being said? Oh, Lord, do you see what we're going through? Pray. This needs to be our common practice all the time, but especially in this time, Preston invited us to join together in 48 hours of prayer a couple weeks ago, which many of you did, and we're so grateful for that. But don't wait for formal invitations or formal schedules or formal prayer meetings. Just pray. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, after listing all of the pieces of armor that we should put on to fortify ourselves in our struggle against the spiritual forces of evil, Paul says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Whenever you think of our church, pray. Whenever you think of people from our church family, pray. Whenever you think of ministries of our church or leaders of the church or anything to do with it, pray, just pray. And if I'm honest with you and I try to be honest with you all the time, prayer is one of my weak spots. I need to practice it more. I always forget to pray. I do my devotions. I have a great time of reading scripture and then I forget the prayer part. And to help me, I've set up a a schedule of prayer, which I think comes from Myron's father-in-law, actually. And so on Mondays, I scheduled in. I'm going to pray for the congregation. And on Tuesdays, I'm going to pray for the church ministries and its leaders. And this way, at least I kind of have it on my mind to pray for the church at least twice a week. But it doesn't have to be restricted to a schedule in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. As we go through this, we are going to face discouragement and doubt. As the hymn puts it, fightings and fears within and without. And it's going to be tempting to engage those voices. We're not feeble. Of course God will help us, or my favorite. I know you are, but what am I? Nehemiah doesn't engage the debate. He prays, God, you take care of them. Hear us. Hear us. Don't listen to the insults of the opposition. Don't listen to the internal voices. Hear us, oh God. You take care of them. I'm building a wall. When we pray, we're reminded of who is ultimately in control. Look at what Nehemiah says in verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't. Be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. See, the great antidote to fear of circumstances, fear of not being enough, fear of the job, is to refocus and remember the Lord. And we do that when we lift our eyes off of our circumstances and turn to Jesus in prayer. God, We need you. And then we remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then one more thing that he's reminded of. At the end of verse 20, he says this. Our God will fight for us. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He will fight for us. So pray. Pray, then persevere. Verse six. After this prayer, in verse four and five, they returned to work. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. The, the perseverance of the people in this chapter is remarkable. In the face of taunts, they build. In the face of threats, they build. In the face of fear, they build. The best way to deal with doubt is to do the work. Right, somebody says it can't be done prove them wrong, do the work. You're not strong enough, take another step, do the work. God's not faithful enough, look at what he's already accomplished, do the work. Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem don't get distracted by the taunts and threats. They take precautions, we'll look at that in just a minute, but they don't get distracted from the main task. Their job is not to engage the debate, their job is to build the wall. There are going to be all kinds of distractions, all kinds of urgent needs that we feel that we should respond to. We need to keep focused on our task and persevere. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling us to do? I love this verse 15. It says, right here, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, there's the prayer part, We all return to the wall, each to our own work. What has God called you to do? And to participate in the work that he's called us to do and stay focused, persevere. So pray, persevere, and then Nehemiah takes prudent precautions. I, I love Nehemiah. I am growing very fond of Nehemiah as we go through this book. We recently, as a staff team, as part of the uh, rebuilding of health and kind of to get to know who we were as a staff team, took the DISC assessment, which is kind of a personality assessment related to our work, and I discovered that I am an SC, which means that I like the facts. I like to analyze situations, look at the data, and then come up with a plan. Nehemiah probably has some D in him, which is a strong leader characteristic. He definitely can rally the troops, but I also think that he has a little bit of an SC characteristic as well. He likes the data, right? He arrives in Jerusalem with his entourage. After spending three days resting, he surveys the situation, gets the facts, then presents the plan. In response to this threat of violence, what does he do? Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, don't be afraid. Right? I looked things over. He surveys the situation. He gets the facts, then gets the plan. How many men do we have? What weapons are available to us? Where are we strong? Where are we weak? Where are the weak spots in the wall? Get the facts. Present the plan. It's prudent. It's a prudent precaution to get an accurate picture of our current situation. And you can help us with that. You heard that this is the last day for the reveal survey. Many of you have already filled it out. If you haven't, please take some time to do that today. We want as clear a picture as we can get of who we are as a church before we build the plan. Nehemiah gets the facts, presents the plan, and then he deploys his resources. Verse 13 I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows and if we were to continue reading to the end of the chapter we'll discover that half of the men did the labor while the other half stood guard against the threat the builders and the laborers kept their weapons close by at all times they kept all the men in the city overnight rather than sending them back to the villages surrounding the city so that they could have a rotating guard and take shifts and make sure that somebody was always watching for the threat. They even instituted an alarm system, a system of trumpets, so that they could respond quickly to where the threats were coming from. And part of our prudent precautions over the next few months as a church will be to take stock of where we are at and it starts with reveal, and from that then we can start to ask questions like, who are we? What, what makes us up? What is our DNA? What is important to us? What resources do we have? What budget is available to us? What opportunities are presented to us? What people are, are part of our family, which is a really big question right now and really hard to get a handle on because we're aware that over covid and and with online some people have left and some we know about but others that we continuously hear about that we didn't know about and that makes us sad it hurts us because we know they're hurt that nobody noticed that they were here weren't here see the reality is that with online and covid it was easy to assume that they were still part of us even if we didn't see them they were just watching online and to hear otherwise is hard for us because we people matter to us. We also know that while some people have left, others have joined, some online, some in person. Some of you are here for the first time since COVID. Some of you are here for the first time ever. And we're glad that you're part of us, but we need to understand who are we. We also need to understand what's our task, what's important right now. Through COVID and through the transition, really it has been survival, let's just be faithful, let's just maintain, let's try to stay connected as best as we can. And now we need to focus on healing and restoring and how do we do that and how can you be part of it? And this is all part of taking prudent precautions, prudent planning for the future. There will be times in this process When we will overemphasize dependence on God and kind of sit on our hands like there's nothing for us to do while we wait for God to do a miracle when he's asking us to roll up our sleeves and start lugging rubble and rocks. And there will be other times when we overcorrect and work as if the future of the church depends solely on our efforts and our ability and does not require God's action at all. And in this kind of veering from ditch to ditch. We're going to strive to keep the balance that the people of Jerusalem kept. I I love how that says it in verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night. Right? We prayed to our God and took prudent precautions. Prayer, perseverance, prudent protection. There will be times when the task will seem too large. The progress too slow, and our strength too depleted. And in those moments, we will need to remind each other of Nehemiah's rallying speech to his people. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your family and your home, our Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.